Hello and welcome to Audio Mission from Church Mission Society, bringing you the voices of God's global mission movement. I'm Trevor Smith. It's May 2017, and this month's podcast is inspired by the Archbishop of Canterbury's Thy Kingdom Come initiative, in which Church Mission Society is joining along with many other organisations and churches around the world. You can find out more by searching online for Thy Kingdom Come, and we hope many of our listeners will pledge to pray during the wave of prayer for more people to know Jesus from the 25th of May to the 4th of June. Our interviews this month touch on a few of the many ways we're seeing God at work, examples of that kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. First, we meet Bishop Anthony Pogo from South Sudan. He was, until last year, Bishop of the Diocese of Kajokeji. Now he's taken up the role of Archbishop of Canterbury's advisor on Anglican Communion Affairs. He visited Church Mission Society not long after taking up the role, and Paul Thaxter, our international mission director, heard about this new role and how church leaders in South Sudan have been people of peace and prayer. When we became a new country, there was a lot of excitement, you know, because people were saying, at long last we now have our own country. At long last we will now be first-class citizens, because in the past we were not treated as such. Uh, but of course, three years later, uh, when the conflict started, it was a big discouragement. And now, again, things haven't really improved even after the signing of the peace agreement. At this time, there is a lot of despair. But uh, even with that, the uh, we 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 have hope that you know the the good Lord who brought us to where we were with the signing of the peace agreement and the new nation. We are, we are trusting in him that, that, that at least there will be there will be hope. And I th- actually, if we don't do that and encourage our people, there will be a lot of uh, hopelessness at this stage. And when you see a number of people being pushed out of the country, it's definitely not a very pleasant thing to, thing to see. But uh, we want to encourage people to pray, uh, first of all, for people to be resilient, but also for God's intervention in such a situation. And often I've seen the, uh, many different bishops in South Sudan and one or two in Sudan as well, who are the, the bastions of hope. They, they, they want to give hope to their people. Well, what sort of hope is needed for the next two years for uh, South Sudan? It's really the, the faith in God that the, these leaders have that is giving them this, this hope. We need to encourage such, such leaders um, a message to them to encourage them, helps them to continue to standing firm. Uh, as I said earlier, unless of course they as leaders stood firm uh, and give have a bit of hope, then the rest of the people, because people look to the to the leaders, they look to the bishop, they look to the clergy. Uh, uh, when I when I was the assistant bishop, and when things became so bad, uh, and people would look to me to see what my actions would be if. I had in an instance began to say, "Well, I think let's 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 leave the country. Let's let's cross the border. The whole county would have uh, done the same." But we encouraged the people. We spoke to the leaders. We spoke to the local army. Even where we could, we we made contacts with the the armed opposition and, and basically told them, "Let's let's not do anything that really would uh, make people to to, to flee." And and that that gave gave a lot of encouragement. As as I was leaving, I went to bid farewell to the army commander. And one of the things that I said is, thank you for uh, giving us uh, the security that we needed. And then he said, well, 
the fact that we used to visit him and pray with him was encouragement. There are times that as he was thinking of what to do, he would then he was reminded of the fact that we had visited as religious leaders to pray with him and to encourage him. Church leaders especially need the encouragement and support as they 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 work at uh, you know reconciling reconciling the people yes. and not taking sides in the conflict that is there. Yes, and that's often very difficult, isn't it, not to take sides when you see such atrocities. And uh, you've now moved on to your new role, uh, working as advisor to the Archbishop. Can you just tell us what that role is? And what are your dreams for that? For, for this? What are your challenges that you're going to be facing over the next year? This role is really being part of the team that uh, assists the Archbishop in his role. As you know, the Archbishop of Canterbury plays an important role within the Anglican Communion. He keeps reminding us that he, he is not a Pope, but he plays a very important role uh, in the, the, the Anglican Communion. So my role is to help with the building of relationships between, of course, uh, people within the communion uh, and also here uh, in this country for them to have an understanding of what's happening uh, in the rest of the Anglican communion. As you know, the, the Anglican communion promises in many parts of the global south are, are growing uh, tremendously. And so we, we need to have that kind of uh, link, relationship and learn from each other so that uh, you know, we as part of, of one, one family, the Anglican Communion, can maintain that, that link and relationship. Another important thing that is coming up is the, the next Lambeth Conference, and so uh, I and others will be part of uh, the team that will be you know, preparing and, uh, for, for, the, for the next Lambeth Conference in 2020. So again, another important uh, uh, conference that would bring uh, p bishops and their spouses, uh, you know, to together for time of fellowship, time of prayer, and time of reflecting and thinking about the future of the communion. And I think that's uh, that that process. So it's just not a meeting, is it? It's it's people having conversations well before 2020. How do people align around particular interests, particular concerns? I mean, I would love them to align around the real mission of the church and the real challenges that the church faces around the world, to be supportive of each other, to become that sort of community that really, you know, God wants us to be, I believe. Um, have you got any re reflections on that? Well, I, within the communion, you see that there are many issues, huge issues that affect, affect uh, different parts of the communion. If we take the situation in Africa, for instance, uh, issues of, of poverty, issues of famine, issues of uh, the need for uh, provision of schools, uh, you know, health services, and, and such ma major issues, that the church is playing a very important role yeah. in, in, in undertaking that. Of course, at the, the international level, you have uh, issues that, uh, that tend to divide us as members of the communion, uh, namely the issue of human sexuality, yeah. uh, and uh, my view is that we 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 are we are perhaps spending more time on such an issue in comparison to some of the other issues. The average person in a very rural parish in Africa would be thinking of you know how how they would f find food, water. Uh, 
so that's that's important uh, for that that we, we we differently you know do what we can as as churches to provide for such needs. It's wonderful that leaders of the caliber of Bishop Anthony are in the church in South Sudan. Pray for wisdom for him in his new role, and especially, of course, for that country which has been going through such a traumatic time of late. Now we hear from Northern Argentina and our mission partners, Catherine Letizier and Bishop Nick Drayson. They spoke to Jonathan Self about two of the fruits of much prayer. First, Catherine updates us on Amaray, the still new women's movement she helped start, which has over a thousand members. Amaray is an um, Anglican women's group, which is Mother's Union, but it is slightly different. We like to think it's a little bit more, perhaps, appropriate to the country and more Latin. And its mission and vision is to really encourage, to motivate, to um, mobilise um, the women and that they'll be renewed in the spirit in every area of their life. So um, we, to become a member of Amore, it's sort of formal, we take, it, we take it formally, there's at least a training day when they understand what becoming a member is about and they have to make a promise to, uh, to God, to really to love God and to serve others, to love God and love others. So within that, we've, within the training too, within the preparation, there's time for reconciliation. We've seen that um, sometimes we've been three hours while women go forward one after the other to be reconciled with others. So it's been very exciting and um, a massive, massive step actually having an assembly and bringing all the women together. But that assembly also brought its problems, uh, conflict, as some women and their families are seeing it as a political tool. So um, I, myself and Shelley um, Stokes, who's been absolutely amazing bringing together Constitution with the help of Mother's Union, we're taking a step back and supporting an executive committee, which is basically going to start you know, supporting the aims and mission, the aims, mission and values of, of, of Amore. It's been so exciting, um, even at Christmas time, seeing people actually going out, reaching others in a way they would never done. We have to unpack the whole thing about what actually it means to love God and love others. You know, so we'll do these workshops and preparation days, and uh, you know, how do you love your family? How do you support your family in the family? And uh, and it's really exciting seeing just in some areas very small, but taking initiatives and um, not just going to church and coming back again. Another exciting development has been the appointment of three indigenous bishops within the Diocese of Northern Argentina, of which Nick is bishop. Not only did we appoint these three bishops this year, but it's also the 50th anniversary of the first indigenous clergy to be ordained. The church has been there for over 100 years, but it took 50 years to actually ordain the first indigenous clergy. And since then, it's grown and the involvement of missionaries has, has shrunk and now there's the, it, it's almost a totally national, indigenous work, um, but um, still with a foreign bishop. And um, we want to move completely to, to a national church. In Argentina that's complicated because uh, although it is a very European country with a tiny indigenous uh, tribal population, the Anglican church is 99% tribal. So in their own terms they can have uh, their own leadership but on a national level it's harder for their bishop to be an indigenous leader. So um, to appoint assistant bishops who are indigenous leaders 
whilst there's still a foreign bishop, is the next stage. Um, we want to, to, to sort of um, make the most of that, consolidate that, and uh, it's incredibly significant for the Tobas, for example, who've never had an indigenous bishop of their own before. The Wichi have previously had one, and they now have two um, of the three. Uh, and so it, it's significant for them because the church belongs more and more to them and is less and less something, for, something from outside. Uh, we still have a way to go for them, for those indigenous bishops to not just function in their own culture but to function more widely, to take on board things that still outsiders do, particularly the whole financial administrative area, the training of leaders. But in terms of, of pastoral leadership and mission initiative, they, they are the people and they do it much better than us. How can we pray for them? Pray that they will not be intimidated. Mm. There's lots of pressures well, from all over the place, uh, and, and it's hard for them to say no mm. to, to that pressure. Uh, pray that their health will hold up. The, the, the two of the three have already uh, been seriously ill since they were consecrated. So pray for their protection. They're in a, a frontline spiritual situation. And pray they will, be, they will work together they aren't living very close together, but they need to meet, they need to be united and support each other and work as a team. And, um, and pray that they'll be imaginative and, and, and take a lead rather than just getting comfortable. Pray for the women of Amore, especially of their executive committee, to grow together. And for the men, perhaps inspired by their new bishops, to find a new sense of identity and value. For our final interview, we return to East Africa, the site of so much suffering with the famine of the past few months. What new signs of God's kingdom are appearing? We spoke to Dave Bishop, who's leading a coffee-growing cooperative in Umbali, Uganda, on the slopes of Mount Elgum. Jeremy Woodham asked him all about the Zukuka Bora Coffee Company. Zukuka is a local word meaning wake up, be revived which just speaks really nicely to what we're trying to do. Um, obviously, coffee's effects generally are to revive, but, um, but also it speaks to, on a number of levels locally. Um, our real prayer for the, the project as a whole is that it will uh, wake up and revive people's livelihoods, but also wake up a, essentially what's been a sleeping industry in coffee. Um, although the area is capable of growing some of the best coffee in the world, in, in recent years it's not been handled particularly well and actually coffee is, is barely a sustainable business locally because of the poor markets, the poor prices and the poor way that coffee's been handled in the past. Um, for a variety of reasons, the coffee that's been coming out of the region has not been good and therefore buyers have run away. So our heart is to try and build a very kind of high-end specialty coffee business um, which um, in turn will benefit the farmers the most because that's where the highest prices for coffee are but at the same time we're also praying that it will bring revival in terms of people's faith and we're working in areas that have never been exposed to the gospel um, these are quite mountainous remote areas um, and actually heavily Islamic or heavily animist communities and it's been very interesting um, from that perspective to be invited sometimes after some heated discussion among certain communities but to be invited into people's communities as a christian business and although we're not always explicit in the way we share our faith because of of, of the, the the nature of where we work we certainly take the opportunity whenever we visit a farmer or or a, or, a, or a piece of land just to pray for that family to pray for the land and to pray that in time that people would see 
um, and understand the love of Jesus. So, so it, how did you how did you get involved? How did it all begin? This business. So Jenga has been working in these communities for ten years, and we've known that they're coffee farmers, but for one reason or another, just it hasn't. I don't know. We haven't had the right funding or the right backing um, to get the project going. But in the last year or so, um, we've made connections with an Australian coffee business in Melbourne. Melbourne apparently is a coffee capital, and they came out and visited. Um, and then since their visit, they've been donating ten percent of their profits to establish this coffee business on the ground. So they're they are obviously our, our main supporters, but they really get what we're trying to do and already they they are providing the market for our coffee once we've produced it this year um so we will be selling a lot of our coffee to australia and they they in turn will give us good prices so that's kind of how the project has started and it last year we had our first trial we produced just 200 bags of coffee but it convinced us that we could do it it convinced us we could produce the quality necessary for sale on the specialty market and so in the last year since then, we've been working alongside farmers to really teach good practices in terms of cultivation, but also to set in place the facilities needed to produce quality coffee. So the next time... What, what, what does that involve? I mean, what do you need? So we, obviously it's, some of it starts in, on the ground, in the gardens. So in terms of planting the right type of seedlings, following the right kind of agricultural practices... Things like planting shade trees, coffee really needs good shade to grow well. So a nice side benefit has been actually encouraging people to plant trees. And obviously it's a mountain. So by planting trees, we're having a a knock-on effect on the environment in a good way. Um, It's an area that has suffered from deforestation. And then that obviously leads to a lot of soil erosion. And actually the soil is great soil. So it's a nice opportunity to bring in let's plant shade trees let's plant trees and and improve the soil and improve the coffee at the same time so it starts on that but actually the main determinant of coffee quality is how it's handled after it's been picked um so we're setting in place um some processing facilities which will allow us to process the coffee as soon as it's been harvested harvested in order to produce very consistent high quality coffee um, which is what the market needs and what it wants and so very quickly being a christian business business as mission mm-hmm. how is that practically outworked how's that what does that look like yeah. in, the, in the business terms i think i think it's on a number of levels i think it's on a very basic level it's delivering what you promise um and actually paying farmers on time paying them a good rate an honest rate and trying yeah just to operate a business in a very fair very transparent manner i think that's immediately sets you apart dare i say from a lot of the coffee businesses on the ground in mbali um so that that on a very basic level also our heart is to kind of get as much money back into the farmers as possible so we hope to pay bonuses um, based on the sales of the coffee we also hope because we're part of jenga and jenga's heart is to do practical community work like health and uh, education programs and savings groups it's really to kind of provide hopefully quite a holistic um, ministry on the ground and coffee really is just one part of that so so it's offering that kind of very practical um, demonstration of love but then also using it as, as a ministry opportunity so it might not always be appropriate to, to pray out loud with the farmers, but we also but we very deliberately pray um, before we meet with the farmers. We pray in their gardens, and the exciting thing is is that um, 
there's a ministry connected with Jenga that's planting churches across the very same areas where we're working. So it, again, it just feels it just feels right. It feels integrated. It feels like as most of our field workers are connected to the local churches. We have pastors actively working for us, meeting with the farmers. And so it, it just feels connected. It feels that as people come to understand that we're doing this and we're driven by the love of Christ and wanting to show the love of Jesus on the ground, it feels like we can not just leave it there, but we can say, hey, we there's a church just, just been planted in your area um, and, and people can be directed there and supported there. So, yeah, it, it just feels business's mission just has started to click for me in that it's whereas charity work feels still at times very paternalistic like we're doing something good for you um actually business seems so much more empowering it feels like we're to make this work we have to work together and that's something that we've emphasized very much um, with our farmers and it's a message that's really resonated dave bishop give thanks that the first harvest of coffee has now been successfully gathered and for all those interweaving elements of integrity, business and honest Christian outreach that are a picture of God's kingdom in that place. Finally, here's a contemplative prayer exercise for this Easter season from Ian Adams, who is Mission Spirituality Advisor for Church Mission Society. Praying Resurrection. Peace be with you. Easter season. This prayer exercise offers a way to pray with a long-awaited hope of Easter, and perhaps in some way to carry Jesus' resurrection out into the world, wherever you are. In both Luke's and John's Gospel accounts of the resurrection, Jesus is recorded as using the greeting, Peace be with you. Each day this Easter season, look for an appropriate moment to make a gesture of peace to someone you meet. Perhaps an outstretched hand or an unexpected smile and say the resurrection words of Jesus. Peace be with you. Here's a prayer you can use to accompany this exercise. Risen Jesus, you came with words of peace. Help me today to speak peace, to be peace and to offer peace in your name. Ian Adams bringing this edition of Audio Mission to a close. Please join us next time for more voices of God's global mission.